BCBA test prep and how the field has changed. These are just some of the topics that we get into today on the BDS podcast. Welcome to the BDS podcast. I am your host, Rose Griffin, and this is episode three. I had a delightful conversation today with Dr. Stephen Eversole and Donna Meller. If you don't know Steve, he was inspired to become a behaviorist in a high school psychology class after reading Beyond Freedom and Dignity by B.F. Skinner. He remained inspired, receiving his M.A. in Applied Behavior Analysis from Western Michigan University in 1984 and his EDD in Special Education from the University of Kentucky in 1995. That same year, Steve began dabbling in computer-based training, and in 1998, he founded Behavior Development Solutions, makers of the CBA Learning Module Series, CE products, and other training materials. He's practiced behavior analysis for over 34 years, working with a variety of special needs populations, including individuals with autism, developmental disabilities, and severe emotional disturbances. Steve has also taught classes on behavior analysis and presented research findings at professional conferences. He is just a wealth of information, and I just wanted to say thank you, Steve, for creating the BDS modules because... They helped me pass the test on the first time. I really appreciate all of your hard work in the field. I had such a great conversation meeting Donna Meller. If you don't know who Donna is, she is the co-founder of Pass the Big ABA Exam, a pioneer in interactive BCBA, BCABA exam prep, a board-certified behavior analyst, and former Broadway performer, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Since its founding in 2012, Donna has emerged as a leading authority in ABA exam prep as co-creator and author of the revered PTB ABA study manual. In addition to being an entrepreneur, Donna is the CEO of Behavioral Intervention Specialists of Los Angeles, and this is an agency that specializes in the treatment of children with autism and other developmental disabilities. I found this to be so fascinating about Donna. She recently started Broadway for Autism, an organization dedicated to creating access and inclusivity in arts education for individuals on the autism spectrum, spanning the arts-related professions. I just love that passion, and I think that's what you will hear in this episode is the passion that Steve has and the passion that Donna has for the field of ABA. Let's get on in to this episode. You're listening to the BDS Podcast by Behavior Development Solutions, online at bds.com. Your source for evidence-based training in applied behavior analysis since 1998. From premier curriculum supplement and exam prep to RBT training and continuing education, including live webinars and more. Welcome to the BDS Podcast, Episode 3. I'm your host, Rose Griffin, and we have an amazing show for you today. We have with us Dr. Stephen Eversole and Donna Meller. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have both of you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's start with... Can you tell us each a little bit about you and your journey into the field? Okay, I'll I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, well, way back in eleventh grade, I read the book Beyond Freedom and Dignity, 
in high school. And uh, so that introduced me to behavior analysis. And so at that point, I was I was sold. And uh, and then I went to, to University of Pittsburgh, which was a, a behaviorally oriented uh, program at the time, and then Western Michigan University for my master's degree immediately after that. And then after that, I worked at uh, Behavior Research Institute, which later became the Judge Rottenberg Center, which a lot of people know. I was there for a, about a year. And then I went to uh, Dever State School, a, a developmental center that has subsequently been closed. And then after that, I decided it was time to go back and get my doctorate degree. So I went to uh, the University of Kentucky and got my uh, doctorate in the special education department there. Uh, after that, I uh, got a job with Columbus Medical, uh, working in Arlington at the Arlington Developmental Center in Tennessee, where we had a wonderful large group of behavior analysts that I worked with. Um, one of them was Dr. Pat McGreevy, who, um, after I had taken a, uh, a, a workshop on online training, or not online training, but instructional design, I was talking to Pat, and he said, well, why don't you develop something to help the CBAs pass the board exam in Florida? The CBA was the precursor, of course, to the BACB, so I got started on that, and um, uh, uh, and and that was a just after I got started working on that, the board came into existence, and the board, of course, is a national and international board. So it was um, I was in the right place at the right time and talking to the right people, and so uh, I, I continued to work as a behavior analyst for uh, another. Um, several, 10 years or so. And, and then when BDS started to, to get, um, big enough, I, I finally went full time and that was in 04. So. Oh, wow. That's very fascinating that, uh, that Pat said that to you and then you just kind of ran with it because it's so, so needed. And actually the way that I became in touch with BDS modules and your company was, I use the BDS modules um, to pass my test. So um, I posted that all over social media because that's kind of my jam and how I disseminate. And so, and now I'm talking to you. Well, that's really interesting. Okay, so that's interesting. And then I, from a small business owner's perspective too, it's interesting to know how long you also continued to work clinically after you had started with the modules. So about 10 years. Okay, that's that's cool. Thanks for- Yeah, well, it, the actual, um, yeah, it was close to- to 10 years, well, probably about seven years from the time I actually sold my first module uh -huh. to the time I actually quit my full-time job uh, because I had a family at the time. I couldn't right. get a chance on not having a, a stable income. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh I, oh, I love that. So, my, so fascinating. I recruited my mother to do customer service. <laughs> right. so, um, <laughs> yes, yes. No. Thing, you know. Yeah, no, it's fun to hear how you bootstrapped it because I have a business ABA speech and I, I just left my full-time clinical job in May of 20 years working in the schools. So it's just interesting and inspiring to, to hear that. Um, thanks for sharing. Okay, on to Donna. So Donna, can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey into the field? Well, I'll just warn you, it is way less impressive than Steve's journey into ABA. Um, 
But I think I'll win the weird trajectory award for sure. Um, well, I was an actress. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but just a real natural path uh, into applied behavior analysis. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I was an actress my whole life. Um, and um, I went to undergrad for theater and um, and was uh, right out of college, uh, booked a Broadway show and was living in New York, uh, working on Broadway. And I don't know why, but I went to grad school at the same time. I did not study uh, behavior analysis. I studied uh, psychology. Um, that's where the the transition becomes a little bit more natural, but I was still acting. So my, my graduate school work was, um, well, they made a lot of exceptions for me at NYU. Um, they were kind of, I, I guess they just thought it was so neat that I was in a Broadway show at the same time that they didn't really hold me to the same standards, like all the processing groups and all the things that happen at night in a graduate program, I could not attend to. So, um, I finished my coursework and 10 years later, I wrote, um, a thesis. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I was acting. And uh, to be honest, I don't know that I would have ever finished my thesis or finished that master's um, because I was, in fact, a, a flaky actress. Um, but I, um, uh, until, but because I fell into behavior analysis, I had to um, because, you know, I couldn't sit for the exam without the master's and all of that. But basically, I was in a, in a national, in a Broadway tour at the time uh, uh, that 9 11 happened and uh, my tour closed. And so it, forced me back to California because I had uh, subletted my apartment in New York and um, honestly just like ran into an old friend at a party who had just uh, finished her PsyD, was working on her BCBA and um, had started an ABA agency. This is back when you didn't really need a BCBA to be doing the top the high level work. And I said, well, I've got this sort of master's that just, you know, thesis pending <laughs> uh, master's. And I, I don't know anything about autism. I don't know anything about ABA. Um, I'm, and so I just started working for her. I think I was, uh, you know, just going into the homes, some school cases. Um, didn't know anything about it. Can't say that the training was sufficient, but, you know, sort of discovered this new thing. And I knew a little bit about ABA because obviously a master's in psychology certainly touches on all of the different schools of thought. But I can't say it ever drew me. I can't say it was in the thing that like excited me when I'd heard about it. I, I wish I could say yes, behaviors running through my veins, but it really wasn't. I was a very psychodynamic thinker, you know, especially as an actor. Everything was like, oh, it's in the stars. And um, but uh yeah, but I started doing this work and um obviously enjoyed it very much. Um really kind of found that uh, being theatrical and animated was like a superpower, um, working with the kids. And so that was really fun. It was also incredibly humbling because there I was being bitten and scratched and hit. And I had like literally just three months prior starred in a Broadway show. And I was like, do you know who I am? <laughs> you know, so that was incredibly humbling for me and much needed humility. Um, and then, you know, started to realize I had to finish this thesis because I wanted to go back to, to school. So I did. I went back to do the coursework um, at the same time as I was writing my thesis. And in fact, my thesis was... Um, uh, oh gosh, I wish I remember the title of it. I should have looked it up, but basically it was an idea on how uh, behavior analysis was lacking some of the drama therapeutic aspects of drama therapy. 
and drama therapy was lacking the empiricism of ABA. But if both could somehow amalgamate, there would be something really special there. Uh, but this is back in the day where I really um, was so hell-bent on being clinical and being like the leaders and sort of wearing the role of a behavior analyst rather than actually being one that I really thought, well, there's no room for creativity. We have to be stuffy and serious, and this is science, and drama is drama, and not science. Um, I've changed my philosophy a lot since those days. But um, but yeah, I, I fell into it. Um, I obviously sat for the exam, uh, worked very hard. It was not an easy feat for me. I was still transitioning into a behavior analytic thinker. So even though I can say that I passed on the first try, I did not have a family at the time. I did not have any other responsibilities. And I studied a lot, probably more than a behavior analytic thinker would have. Um, and then, uh, several, several years later, um, after a fateful coffee date with my partner, Priya Runyon, um, we just at the coffee shop decided we wanted to do an interactive uh, prep course, like a workshop with people that come and see us and write a little manual. And um, and here we are. We just celebrated our 11th anniversary on Friday. Um, yeah. And to kind of like Steve said, I, I still work clinically. Um, I think the need to do both has passed, but um, I'm still afraid. I'm I'm always just like, is it going to last? Is this going to go on? Plus, I really like having one foot in the clinical world just to kind of keeps me more connected uh, to the student experience. Or maybe I'm just crazy and <laughs> I don't want work-life balance. That could be that could be it. But yeah, I guess that's the short of it or the oh. long of it. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. I didn't know anything about your background. I always think that's really fascinating. I'm a speech therapist and BCBA, but I always think it's really fun when I meet people who are in our space and are also a musician or also in something that is creative because I definitely can tell you that that idea of being animated and just kind of putting yourself out there in therapy, especially with younger learners, is probably, like you said, it seemed like you were pretty popular in therapy. You probably felt confident, you know, um, doing some of those naturalistic kind of, uh, you know, play-based interventions. So fascinating. Love that. So cool. Um, okay. So can you share your philosophy in regards to test prep? Okay. So uh, my philosophy is that we're here to make better behavior analysts, not to help people pass the exam, or at least not to just help them pass the exam. And this is something that I have had yeah, I've been in conversations with people who who kind of look down on on what we do. These, you know, a few of them were luminaries in the field that that think, oh, you guys are just, you know, you're not really really teaching. You're just helping people pass the exam. And I always, in those conversations, I've, I've emphasized, well, we are here to help them pass the exam, but that's not all we're here to do. And uh, so. So, so that's 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 the big thing that I, I want to get across there. And also, the the BCBA exam, I believe, is a largely a valid exam. It's it. I think it's um, it, they do as good a job as could be done within the limitations of a multiple choice exam. Um, and you know, going beyond that, where they're actually acting out. Um, or, or put into actual scenarios and 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 where they're responding is is assessed under those circumstances is 
is something that I think will come at some point, but there's a lot of complications for them to do that. Um, it, it may be that we end up doing that before they do. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell that, that we are here to make better behavior analysts, not just help people pass the exam. And I know Donna believes the same way, but I'll let her speak for herself. I do. And you taught me that, Steve, because you, well, I know we're, we'll probably talk about how we met, but, um, but for sure, uh, I look up to the the scientific approach that you take and a lot of things you have said to me over the years have, you know, I'd had to run home and look things up and, and, you know, uh, understand your point, um, which I, I agree with wholeheartedly. I, I have the same, the same idea as Steve. I don't want us to be a shortcut to passing the exam. I think, um, I would be sad if the legacy was, you know, I'm not a great clinician, but I used PTB and I passed. Like, I would just hate to hear that on the streets, you know, uh, on the the hard streets of Hollywood. But um, <laughs> um, but um, something that is important for me, um, in addition to, you know, having sort of a behavior analytic approach to learning and really applying those principles, um, which, as I shared, I was a late bloomer to loving. Um, but now that I do, uh, it excites me. And so what I what I would what I aspire to do is inspire our students to love the science also. And they don't always at this stage of the game, at this stage of the game, that's my dog. He has a lot of feelings about science as well. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, to, to inspire people to, um, to, to love the science and be motivated to study because of that affection, because I feel like we get more done when we actually enjoy the thing that we're doing and not see it as a chore. I know it is, and I don't mean to sort of diminish that it is something that people have to do for job security and promotions and all of that good stuff. But I have found that my students who get excited about it, who I can sort of infect with excitement if they don't have it to begin with, they do better um, because they start to love it and they they seek the knowledge. The knowledge is reinforcing versus passing the exam is reinforcing. I mean, of course, that is also very reinforcing. It's like the greatest day of your life. And I know that's <laughs> it, right? And I've, I've gotten, I mean, I've been cast in a Broadway show. Nothing felt better than that passing score email. <laughs> yes. I, I think I think those are sort of my my uh, goals, if you will, or inspirations. I love that. And I, I think on the um, a different episode, we were talking about when I took the test, I did not find out immediately nowadays. And nowadays, if you take the test, you find out immediately if you pass or failed. But now, for our result, back in the day, it took a month or something and it was a phone call or something random. But I was just filled with such dread. I definitely had, I think I did a three month study schedule and it was, you know, I've been certified about 12 years. So it was all about the BDS modules and the Cooper book. And I stuck to my study schedule, um, which now I heard the BDS website helps you kind of do a, a scheduler, which I think is interesting. Um, but I had a schedule. I was ready to go. And I think, you know, as somebody who's taken the test, I also passed the first time. I think once you get through the overwhelm of passing the test, obviously you're so passionate about the field and about the science of ABA, but then it allows you to be that lifelong learner to then get really into the science. Because I feel like once you're, in, when you're a new professional, you're really just dipping a toe into like, what does it even mean to be a BCBA? Like you were saying, Donna, you know, you started to become an analytical thinker because your background, you know, was different. So that was a transition for you. But I think that really kind of gives you insight into like, okay, this is ABA and now we're going to apply it. And then you just, the 
the rest of your career, you're just modifying, tweaking, learning new things as the research comes out. So I think both of you, I just think it's really fascinating that um, you're so passionate about helping people at that stage in the game because we really do need all your support <laughs> during that time. Um, so I'm curious, Steve, can you tell us a little bit about the state of the field when you started out in it? Yeah, well, let's see. I'll kind of date myself here. The first uh, ABA conference I went to, and of course I say ABA because the I didn't exist yet. You know, it was the Association for Behavior Analysis before it was Behavior Analysis Inter International. Um, that was about 82, I think. I went to my my first conference, and there was about a thousand or so academicians in the field. Mm -hmm. At that conference in '82, or maybe this number's coming from '83, if if my memory serves me correctly, it was there was about 700 people there. Now this is you know the big national ABA conference, and that was pretty much everybody in the country. You know uh, that <laughs> maybe a few hundred more that that didn't come but um you know that was the size of the field um mostly academicians and people working in developmental centers and um as for state and regional uh organizations there was i think faba and babbitt i think were the only ones and um and you know i'm sure they had i i know babbitt even when I went to Babbitt, the first few years I went to Babbitt, I, I think it was under a hundred people. Um, and you know, now you have some of these state and regional conferences have more people than ABA, uh, ABA or ABAI did way back. You know, the, uh, way back. Well, I guess it is forty years now, but still. The, so the field has grown incredibly. Um, and as I remember it, and maybe this is just my my memory looking through through um, rose colored glasses as as a as a young professional, but boy, it was a very jam packed with a lot of real hard science. Every presentation was data or something, you know, a real heavy theoretical issue. And to be honest, I really miss that. Um, and and. It seemed like everybody, we were talking behavior analysis. Now when we go to conferences, like we talk about everything else but behavior analysis, except in the presentations, but, you know, in the hallways, in the, the social gatherings and so on. It seemed to me that we were all talking behavior analysis. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then and then also Skinner and Keller were at the, they had banquets back in those days. And, um, and I remember I got to, um, uh, my claim to fame was to direct B.F. Skinner to the men's room, the 10 and more. So I was very, very proud of that. That's my, my bank. I think so. The, Rightfully know. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I will tell this story though. He's, he was such a humble man. Um, everybody wore, you know, their, their tags on their, Kind of like they do now, um, and and it was my job as a volunteer at at the conference 
uh, to um, to make sure that people had their their badge. And if they didn't have their badge, I was supposed to tell them to to go get it. Well, he, you know, B.F. Skinner was going out to the men men's room, and and he he didn't bring his badge with him. And he said to me, "Is is it okay is, that I didn't bring my badge?" And I said, "Yes." Bring <laughs> you. Yeah. So um, you're like a hall monitor. Yeah, I, I was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. I love to hear those stories about that, that you were able to meet him and how small the conferences were. I, you know, it's interesting as a speech therapist, when we have our national organization uh, conference, which is ASHA, there are so many people there are like 20,000. So when I go to ABAI, which I used to do more so when I first started my business, that weekend's so hard for me, Memorial Day weekend. Um, I wonder if it, was it always on Memorial Day weekend? Do you remember way back in the, it was, okay. It's hard for me well, to get there. As far back as I go anyway. Okay. The years before May, there was the Midwest uh, Association for Behavior Analysis. Uh, I th I think that was still probably Memorial Day weekend, but I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that's always hard for me. But what I think is so interesting is when I go to that conference, it's so much smaller, comparatively speaking, to speech therapy that I do. I remember when I went to um, ABI when I was in San Diego and... You know, I'm with Dr. Mary Barbera. She's a friend of mine. And we're, you know, at the bar after the conference and people are there. And she introduced me to Dr. Sunberg. And it's just nice because it does have like a smaller feel, um, especially kind of in the online space and all that. So interesting. I just love, I love hearing all those stories. That's really, really fun. Um, so Donna, do you want to share with us um, just the state of the field when you started out? Yes. Um, well, very different. For me, my claims of fame was having met Steve Eversall at a conference the first time I went. Um, I, I do have a, a funny story as far as how um, not uh, how much of an outsider I really was the first time I went to a conference. I had briefly worked for a company um, while I was waiting to take the exam. And um, my uh, boss made me a business card that had my name, the fact that I had my MA, and then it said BCBA, and in parentheses, exam pending. Wow. And I took it to this conference proud, like, I am almost you guys. So, And as I was meeting people, you know, and I'm social, so I was in, I didn't know anybody. I went by myself, and I was just like, hi, I don't know who you are. Um, and I had given my card out a few times. I, As an actress, you don't really have a business card to pass around. So I was really excited to exchange business cards. That was cool. And I think, like, the third person I handed it to looked at it and was like, uh, your card's unethical. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you, I'm sure you got called on that. You're doing that pretty quickly. So I had to like come home and call the boss and can you please move this off my card and don't give this to anybody. But the state of the field was, I think it was that point, um, it was before all the insurance laws had passed, but it was as if like the the psychological world had been bitten by the ABA bug. At least that's what it was feeling like. And just agency after agency was popping up. And um, it's if you look at the graph on the BCB website, or or at least the one that Dr. Carr typically presents at conferences, you know how the slope started to go up. It was just like minutes before mm. it was, you know, that super high rate. Um, but it was already, you know, um, it was already escalating. And um, so it was just kind of uh, everybody was sort of talking about it, but it was still in the middle of being very clinical. So if you didn't understand and you didn't fit in and you sat in on a symposium as a student. You could absolutely feel like you did not just study this. You did not just finish coursework because they're talking about something else. And it was intimidating and it was exciting because it, um, at least for me, I 
felt like I want to attain this. I want to sit in these rooms and I want to understand these people. Um, and that's for me, I was just starting to learn, you know, who the thought leaders were. Um, you know, I knew names. I didn't really pay attention initially, like who was still alive, who was who. And then somebody would, you know, I remember seeing Brian Iwata in, at, at, at a, in a bar and not knowing that it was him and somebody saying, oh, that's, you know, that's him. And me just being like, you know, the function, functional analysis guy. And then sort of at that point, starting to learn, like, these are the people you should go listen to, mm -hmm. uh, finding the names and just sort of when I was asking questions, but mostly it just sort of felt like um, the moment that things started to shift in the field. And so I do feel like I was on the, I was sort of in the middle, right? When it started to not just change to more um, quantity, but maybe at the point where quality started to be a little bit threatened because in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, the tone started to shift from, like Steve was saying, from talking science to talking, how do we improve all the people in the field? It's mm -hmm. sort of the the feeling changed. Um, but yeah, I guess that was it. It was it was very exciting and intimidating and overwhelming and scientific and um, nerdy in the good yeah. sex kind of way. And this is the day where, you know, you were told by your employers not to wear jeans to conferences. So there was like, I remember going to with my mom to, to shop before my first conference and just being like, what do people wear? Like, I didn't even have slacks. Like I was in, you know, I literally was, I had no need for a quote unquote professional business attire and <laughs> obviously much different now, but yeah. I do feel like I just went to Ohaba or Ohio conference. Um, Dr. Heward was there. He presented right in, in front of me and he actually stayed for my talk and was very interactive. I was like, is this happening right now? It was like, it was very exciting. But I do think when I was thinking about my outfit um, for Ohaba, when I was presenting in front of hundreds of people, I do still think it's more professional. I don't know. I guess I'm just going back to between speech and BCBA. But if I'm going to a BCBA conference, I do think people really do tend to still dress up and be more formal than other conferences, but that's that's just kind of my experience. Um, interesting. Well, that's just fascinating to hear about how it was, um, you know, when you got into the field, and you're right, it has just grown so much, and I'm sure that there will just be growing pains because our field is just growing rapidly, and maybe the things that were important back then, maybe other things are taking the forefront. I do like the way that they have the symposium set up, and I, when I go to ABAI or some of those larger conferences, I always like to go to things that, like you said, like maybe I never learned about this. I remember when I was in San Diego, I went to things about matrix training and heard Dr. Sarah Frampton talk. I don't even know if she had her PhD back then, but, you know, really interesting things. And I was learning about ACT and just stuff that I did not study, you know, in my coursework. So I guess that idea of, you know, being an ACE provider, right, we have to go beyond the task list. So those are always interesting times to maybe I always do that at conferences to learn about things that maybe I don't know a lot about, you know, and things like that. Um, so I'm just, I'm curious now, because you you had talked about how you met Steve. So how did, where did you guys meet? How did your professional relationship start? And then how has it evolved over time? Donnie, you want to start with this? Yeah, I'll start because I don't think you remember exactly. Uh, it, but, and I'll be honest. I don't. It's kind of foggy for me, too. I reached out to Steve when uh, we were starting PTB. I don't remember why I did that, um, but I do remember that you were incredibly generous, um, and you had, um, now Pri and I had both done BDS modules and loved it and uh, and obviously passed the exam. So we, I think for me, I wanted to let you know that we were doing this thing. I don't, I don't think it was going to I didn't think it was going to be anything. I thought we we're going to have some classes in Los Angeles. And so I, I wasn't letting you know as a warning, like, oh, we're coming, you know, because I did not anticipate 
that we would, you know, uh, even exist in the same space as you. But I, I reached out to kind of say, we're starting these live classes and, you know, I don't remember the exact questions, but I know that it was to seek advice and it was more in that way. And you gave us our access to BDS modules back. It's funny because I had it on a CD-ROM. So I, so it wasn't that you like re, uh, redid my account or maybe, maybe I had a CD-ROM and then you had the, I don't remember. I mean, this is a long time ago, but, um, in any event, you gave us our access back and you shared with us that you had introduced a pre and post test. I mean, you had talked about so many things, um, and we're really, really generous with the information. So that was the first, uh, meeting. And then I would go to conferences, um, throughout those first few years. We didn't have boots or anything. We were just building. I would always stop by and talk. And talk to Steve. And somehow that shifted to us talking on the phone when we would have taskless transitions. And I don't remember the reasons for picking up the phone and calling, but I, I, I remember emailing him and saying, do you have time for a quick call? And those calls were never quick. We always talked about everything else. Mm-hmm. And then next thing I know, we're at conferences and we're sharing meals and on boats with our significant others yeah. and <laughs> lobbies at three o'clock in the morning while <laughs> our significant others are in the hotel rooms and people are coming up. At this point, I'm also recognizable, a little more recognizable and people coming up and going, wait a minute, aren't you guys the competition? Um, so it, it's, I wouldn't say it's an unlikely friendship because we have the same interests, um, but it's definitely lovely that it emerged and that, you know, I'm especially grateful to Steve for just being so hospitable in the space, but, but also sharing his wisdom and his insight. And it's just, he's just an amazing human being. So I can talk to Steve literally about, about anything. It doesn't have to be exam prep. I just enjoy his company very much. Well, I'm, I, I feel the same, obviously. And, um, yeah, Donna was very, uh, very, you know, friendly and, and, and we, you know, seem to cooperate so well. Um, and if I could tell a story that I think kind of set the tone for, for my attitude about this is very early on when I was doing BDS and, and Jose Martinez DS was doing the, the guided review. Um, I was at FABA and, and Jose, you know, in his very, uh, was, how friendly, uh, gregarious way said, said to me, cause I had, I had known, actually, I, I had met Jose back at, in Tennessee when I worked there in the, in the mid nineties. Um, I, I said to him, uh, or no, he approached me and he said, he said, Steve, we are competitors, but let's not compete. Let's, let's have a friendly cooperation. <laughs> and I said, okay, Jose, that's, that's really a great, great way to look at it. And so we, you know, the the competition has always been friendly. And and so uh so then it was with, with Donna as well. And and I think for most most of our competitors in the field, you know, we, we're not we're not cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Um and um and 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 Joel, my director of behavior develop or director of business development, when I when I hired him he he had talked about um you know some things that we we could do that um was a little bit more competitive and and i i said to him i said joel this field isn't really like that you know it's like it's more friendly and and after a little while he he, he learned what what the field was like and and he said yeah you're right there's there's a lot of a lot of friendly competition so um 
so I'm glad that we're in a in a field like that at this point. Now we'll we'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> I'm sure with with Don and I it'll be fine, but I mean it's, <laughs> and 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 I I think with other behavior analysts in the field I I would expect the same, but you know, we also have some some people coming in from outside the field mm-hmm. that um I I don't know whether it'll whether they'll have the same attitude or not. Yeah, that that's so fascinating to hear. And I love just that idea, Donna, that you reached out to Steve um, and that you were receptive to that. I had a, a similar thing happen to me when I started in the field. I reached out to um, Dr. Mary Barbera and I talk about verbal behavior and she does too. And she's just this really accomplished um, person. And when I was starting out in the online space with my business five years ago, I just reached out to her. I emailed her and I was like, okay, you know, I talk about all the same things. I'm a speech therapist. This is who I am. And um, I enrolled in her courses and then I've been in her membership, just kind of staying in there. And we've done so many collaborations and she's done videos with, you know, her son and our products that we sell. And so it's really been like, for me, um, like a nice mentorship type of experience where we're kind of in the same space. But she, um, in my situation, she's so far ahead of what I'm doing that she's been doing this for so long that she really is like a mentor to me. And we do have like texts and then we talk and we do collaboration. So it is really nice to have somebody in that space because what we're doing and what you guys are doing is so different and so unique that there are not a lot of people who really understand what you are doing and what you're trying to do in the field. So it's nice to have that relationship and somebody to talk to. I really love love hearing about that. Um, so what are your hopes for the field going forward? Okay. So uh, for 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 me it's it's mostly mostly maintaining and improving the skills of behavior analysts, um, maybe doing some advanced training. Uh, we we do want to get into that area. And then another area that we've gotten into, um, two years ago, we started the uh, Center for Behavior and Climate, and I hired a full-time environmental specialist. And so we're in that space now. We have several um, <clears throat> several cl- uh, courses, um, most of them free courses, up on um, at the Center for Behavior and Climate, um, just Google Center for Behavior and Climate, and they'll bring you there, or it's climate.bds.com. Um, and so I, that, that is a, a personal passion of mine. And I've, climate change is the biggest behavioral problem that we have. Uh, and it has very severe consequences. And I think we as behavior analysts need to be in that space. And and have an, an impact, and we and and there is a lot of uh, a fair amount of research on uh, climate action, uh, but it's done being done by behavior behavioral scientists who are not ABA people. Um, there there is some some literature in the ABA literature, and it is growing, and that is starting to gather steam. And um, if you look at um, uh, the um, uh, the SIG, um, be, uh, what is it, behavioral, oh, shoot, name escapes me right now. But anyway, 
there's a sustainability SIG, and then there's also a behavioral responsibility SIG. Um, and uh, and Susan Schneider and Andrew Bonner and um, uh, um, Mark Olivosius and, and are just a few of the people, Tracy, C. Sihan, uh, or some of the people that are doing work in that area now. And I think that's an area that I, I certainly hope will grow and, and gain influence. Interesting. I'll have to look at that. I haven't heard of that. So that's another thing that's interesting about ABAI or when you go to those conferences, they have those special interest groups and sometimes they have meetings and you can kind of beep off around and say like, oh, wow, look, this is ABA. It's a lot of things that maybe we don't see all the time. So I always, I teach the ethics class here at Kent State. So I always talk about that too, how, you know, it is a broader scope and you may be applying it one way, but there are a lot of people doing a lot of different things. So I'm glad that you bring that up and I'm excited to check that out, Steve. Thanks for sharing. Um, Donna, what are your hopes for the field going forward? Um, so I guess for me, I would love for, uh, just the general conversation to, um, I don't know, to equalize a little bit, right? Or even out a little bit right now, there's just a lot of, um, it feels divided in some ways. Um, it feels divided in, um, you know, uh, in terms of inclusivity, uh, diversity, and um, and so it feels like a like another growing pain is happening where it's uncomfortable and it's scary, um, but I think it's headed in the right direction. So my hope is that we do arrive at a place where everybody feels included and important and heard. Um, and I also and, and the other part of it is just the supervision piece. I, I see there's so much focus on in, improving supervision, improving the quality of the you know behavior analyst in the field, the applied behavior analyst. And so I just hope we get to a place where we can be proud of all of the things that we're all doing rather than in this sort of defensive um, damage control space that I feel like we're in. Um, you know, there's like, it feels like a rebrand is going on and that's always scary um, from any business standpoint, but it's especially scary when it involves, you know, um, people and human beings and treating people fairly. And so finding that Finding the space between, you know, what is perceived as abusive in our field versus what is perceived as um, inclusive and, uh, you know, more compassionate towards the individuals that we treat, as well as to the uh, diverse individuals that work in our field. Uh, so that's something that I hope happens so that we're, it doesn't feel uncomfortable and scary. Um, and then, you know, for me personally, I'd love to find more research and do some more research and just on how people learn. And, um, and, you know, there is stuff that exists, but there's not a lot, but maybe someday I'll do a little writing or read more reading. Um, I don't know if I could do any more reading, but I will fit in the reading so I could explore just, um, maybe a comparative analysis of different types of learning theories and help people sort of improve, uh, the process of learning something that may feel abstract or dense and not really necessarily may not feel like it's related to what they're doing in the field, uh, making things like tests. I don't want the test to be easier. So I, I really want to make that clear. I, I don't want the pass rate to be higher. I, I don't, I mean, I want everybody to pass, but I don't want it to be a hundred percent. You know what I mean? So, right. um, and every bit of research that I've done is that standardized tests, they have these, you know, moderate pass rates. So that I'm okay with, but I would like it for it to be less aversive for people that could do it, can do it, should do it. Um, but yeah, I guess that's it. Just, I just want us to be happy and I want us to all get along. <laughs> 
If that's not too Pollyanna, but that's the one. Yeah, no, I agree. I see all that too. I don't think ABA is the only field that's going through this. I mean, I, this this is going on in in the theater world as well, and and in the world and in, in politics, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I just I just want to feel less anxious, and I just hope it happens in my lifetime. You know, that's that's what I hope for for all of mankind. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that in your lifetime. That's a good timeline. I think that will will work. Yes, yes. Is that a good measurable goal? Yeah, I feel that felt a little a pageanty, but. Uh, <laughs> Is it, it is true for me. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. Love to hear that. Um, is there anything else that either of you would like to share with our listeners? Or do you think any final words? You guys shared a lot. Just want to check in and make sure. Good. Thumbs up. Yeah, think of anything. Okay, great. Well, it was absolutely amazing to talk to both of you. You are doing such important work in the field. And I love just hearing about each of your businesses, how it started, how the field was when you first started, because I think each of us has kind of a different experience. So I I love hearing all those uh, stories. And thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much. For more information about BCBA exam prep and curriculum supplement, RBT training, CE courses, including live webinars and more, please visit bds.com. We know that learning is a lifestyle, not a destination. And we thank you for including us in your journey by listening to this episode of the BDS podcast.